Hello, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer our medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Yes, my pleasure. Looking forward to this topic. Uh, it's a big topic. Tell us about what we're going to be talking about on Prairie Doc this week. Yeah, so the the show is about dementia, which you're right, is kind of a broad topic. Um, so I'm hoping that we can address some caller questions. There's a lot of really common questions that we get about dementia. So I think we've got some people on that will be able to help um, help us answer a lot of those. And who are your guests this week? Yeah, so I have um, Dr. Justin Person. He's a neurologist who did fellowship train in neuropsychology, so uh, does a lot of dementia care um, and diagnosis um, as, a, as a subspecialist. And then Dr. Joseph Reese, who's a geriatrician, um, internal medicine and geriatrician, so um, sees elderly population primarily. And of course, that's a population of which there's a high rate of um, cognitive decline and dementia diagnosed so but for more of a general standpoint so I think they'll both be great yeah Mm -hmm. a great duo Mm -hmm. to be on with you yeah Uh, so that will be on tomorrow night on SDPB television at seven o'clock p.m. Uh, but today we will be talking about dementia on the radio and any other topics, of course, that our listeners want to talk about. So if you want to give us a call at 605-692-1430, 605-692-1430 with your questions, that would be great. As we get older, many people might have experiences where they feel their memory isn't working Mm -hmm. as well as it used to. How can we determine if something is just normal or if something is, it's more concerning, such as dementia? Yeah, it's a question I get all the time, Laura, because you're right, people are worried about if they notice something that seems like a memory change, it worries people, which is totally understandable. Um, I try to ask about specific details. So if someone comes to me with those concerns, I kind of ask them to provide me examples. What are some examples? Um, And commonly what I will hear is something like, I'm having a hard time, you know, I'll be having a conversation and a word just won't come to me. I'll have trouble finding a word. Or another common one would be, you know, I've met this person three times and I didn't remember their name when I saw them and that's not like me. And I would say those things are probably for most people on the spectrum of normal. Um, So those are things that happen to all of us, no matter what age we are, but maybe might happen a little more frequently as our brain gets older. Um, So usually if, if that's all that it is, it's pretty reassuring. Um, I also ask about, you know, does your spouse or your family, are are they noticing any changes? I would say more often than not, when I have patients who come to me and they're the only one that notice a change and they have the insight to notice that change, it's it's less concerning for me. That's not black and white always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the more early and subtle things might be that way. 
But more often than not, when we make a diagnosis of dementia or more significant cognitive decline, it's not the patient who is noticing these things. It's someone around them um, mm-hmm. is noticing those changes. So, um, the, And none of those things are perfect, but I, I ask about specific examples and try to get a sense of where they're seeing those changes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the family or other people. Mm-hmm. If you if you are concerned about someone, uh, what is the best way to bring that to the medical provider's attention? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I see a lot of patients who are family members of my other patients. Yeah. And sometimes family member A will be in for their appointment and be expressing concerns about family member B who's not present, right? Right. So the first thing I try to do is you know, let's try to bring this out in the open, maybe attend the physician visit with your family member if they're okay with that and Mm -hmm. and just talk about it openly. That's easier for some families than others. Sometimes this is really hard if you're worried about something and and the person you're worried about is defensive about it. It's, It's not always the easiest thing. But there's not really a way to get to the truth until we can talk about it. So I I really encourage people to, you know, sensitively express their concerns to the family members so that we can investigate it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now with your questions at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Frostbite is a type of injury caused by freezing. It leads to a loss of feeling and color in the areas it affects, usually extremities, such as the nose, ears, cheeks, chin, fingers, and toes. Frostbite can permanently damage the body, and severe cases can lead to amputation. Frostbite should be checked by a health care provider. Call 697-9500 to see your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, Dr. Evans was explaining to us about dementia and how often we have some normal memory loss as we age, but sometimes it is more concerning. Dr. Evans, in your essay this week, you mentioned Mm -hmm. that medications affect our cognition. I hadn't really thought much about that before. So tell us more about how medications might impact that. Right. So another common thing that I might hear is just, you know, I I just don't feel as sharp. You know, maybe I'm at work and I'm just not as sharp as I used to be or I'm kind of running out of brain energy through the day or something like that. And even more concerning memory um, types of descriptions can be attributed to medications for sure. So when people come in with concerns like this, that's one of the first things I do is let's go through your medication list. And by the way, is there anything that you're taking that maybe you're buying over the counter that we haven't prescribed to you that isn't on this list? Because mm-hmm. those medications might affect this too. Um, a lot of medicines have side effects that can include cognitive slowing. Um, and some of those side effects tend to, we tend to be way more prone to when we're 70 or 80 than when we were when we were 50. So sometimes people will say, well, gosh, I've been taking this for 
30 years and it never caused me a problem before. Are you sure you think that's the problem? And the answer can be yes, just because, you know, our, our metabolism in our body becomes much more sensitive to medication side effects as we get older. It's hmm. just true across the board. Um, one of the most, it's interesting, one of the most common medications that is the first thing I cut out is one that I, that sometimes doesn't make it onto people's medicine lists, and that's diphenhydramine, which is, the old trade name is Benadryl. It's in cold medicine, allergy medicine, um, a lot of sleep aids that you buy over the counter have this as the active ingredient, but it has a set of side effects that we call anticholinergic side effects, one of the big ones being some sort of cognitive impairment. So, you know, it's it just important to make sure that when you're talking to your provider about this, that your medicine list reflects everything that you're taking. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other more common culprits? Yeah. So common prescription culprits, there's there's a handful of drug classes that I think we can blame a lot. One would be the benzodiazepine. So this is something like lorazepam, alprazolam, or the old trade names are like Ativan and um, Valium and and that kind of thing. These are medicines that are kind of short acting medicines for that we use for anxiety, sleep sometimes, and they certainly can have a lot of adverse effects. But one is definitely cognitive change. Again, much worse in in older pa- patients. Okay. So that's a big one. A lot of medicines that we use to treat things like nerve pain, you know, medicines that sometimes we we use with really good intentions. So nerve pain or even things like seizure medications or other pain medications um, can have similar sets of side effects. So it takes a savvy, you know, clinician to look through those lists and pick out the most common culprits. But it's worth doing because, of course, if we can eliminate those symptoms by eliminating a medication, if Mm-hmm. If we're safely able to do that, depending on what we're treating with that med, um, then that's, you know, one of the simplest things that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes are you able to substitute a different med yeah. if you feel like one might be the... Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's true, especially in the case of things like treating pain. You know, we might change something like an, a commonly prescribed medication that we use for something like nerve pain would be amitriptyline would be a really common one. And it's a it can be a great medication for for various things. But if you are having side effects from it, maybe we'll substitute in something with less or a different side effect profile and see if it suits you better. So, okay. yeah. Let's talk about how depression, anxiety, and sleep disorders may cause changes in our memory. Yeah. So, you know, when when I was a student and a resident um, on, like, my geriatrics rotation, this was a big teaching point in that things like depression, especially if in patients who are both elderly but maybe they have some mild cognitive impairment, it's hard to use the traditional depression screening all the time. Um, sometimes we just actually see some cognitive or memory changes. Um, and I tell people, especially when we're talking about those symptoms that that we mentioned before, you know, we're, we're not recalling a word or having a hard time recalling a name, or maybe we, you know, forgot what we came to the living room to do um, when we arrived there. If you're having a lot of stress or anxiety or depression disorder, or certainly lack of sleep for whatever reason, I tell people that your brain just, you know, the frontal lobe's distracted. We can only mm-hmm. do so many things at a time. You know, we in our culture, I feel like we tell ourselves we can multitask, but in reality, the human brain is not really built to multitask as much as we do. So if you're stressed and and really you're spending a lot of energy kind of thinking about other things, ruminating about other things, 
um, it's hard to stay focused on the task at hand. And sometimes that looks like memory change, but it's it's more of a distracted brain. Sure. Yeah. And we might not even be aware of it right. sometimes, exactly. right? Exactly. So I think yeah. it's important to delve into that. Could this be something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of when you have young children mm-hmm. or you're a new mom and you're just not getting your sleep. Right. And Absolutely. The whole world feels a little bit off and uh-huh. you just aren't quite sure what's going on. And yeah, it really affects how we... Yeah, can do our daily functions. And sleep is another thing that I really try to dig into with patients that are having some of these mild changes, because you're right, if your brain is not getting rest, of course, we're not going to function like we do when we're well rested. You know, Mm -hmm. we need our brain needs rest. And so that can be for a lot of reasons. Maybe it's just insomnia. Maybe it's an actual sleep disorder like sleep apnea or something. But that's another thing that I try not to leave unturned if we're looking for reasons for this. How about sleep studies? I feel like I've seen some research about how even using a sleep um, apnea machine might help your cognitive. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have untreated sleep apnea, that Uh can definitely manifest as sort of cognitive slowing. Again, it, it just has to do with your brain not getting adequate rest. So in sleep apnea, the reason for that is, you know, a lot of people that before they're diagnosed with sleep apnea don't realize that they're not getting good sleep. They think they're sleeping for six or eight hours a night, but they wake up feeling not rested and they might experiencing some of these like, I'm just not feeling sharp. Mm -hmm. Um, But what really is happening during the night is because they stop breathing effectively, the deep part of their brain is waking up frequently. Sometimes we see these sleep studies um, alarm, you know, 30 times an hour. That's every other minute (laughs) that your brainstem is waking your brain up to say, hey, remember to open your throat and breathe. Um, But the the forefront of your brain doesn't wake up. So you don't realize you're waking up. But what that means is you're not getting deep sleep. You can't get to deep REM sleep when that's happening. And so you're right. We treat the sleep apnea if we find it. And they both feel more rested, but also they feel like more like themselves cognitively in a pretty short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So a sleep study is isn't too difficult, right? No, it's yeah, a it's so. a pretty simple thing to do. We do a lot of them at home now. Okay. Um if and and sometimes we can get away with just the home test for diagnostics. Um so it's it's worth talking about if you're someone who has some risk factors for that. Right. Or if your spouse knows that you snore or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Worth checking out. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to, for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now with your questions at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in the United States. Cigarette smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer, but it can also be caused by other forms of tobacco like pipes and cigars or breathing secondhand smoke or being exposed to asbestos or radon. We also are concerned with people who have a family history of lung cancer. Lung cancer symptoms may include coughing that gets worse and doesn't go away, chest pain, shortness of breath, wheezing, and coughing up blood. Other illnesses that can cause these these symptoms should be investigated as well. If you have any symptoms, talk to your doctor. For help to quit smoking, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit CDC 
www.avera.gov quit. Your provider at the Avera Medical Group is a good resource to discuss lung symptoms. Call 697-9500 for an appointment. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, a question here. Can dramatic changes in mood be a sign of dementia? It's an interesting question. I would say that the short answer is yes. Um it probably wouldn't be the only finding, but it might be the kind of the first thing that uh, someone close to the person might notice. Um, these can be kind of challenging cases. And of course, when we're talking about dementia, I think people commonly perceive when I say dementia that we're talking about Alzheimer's dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And dementia is a broader term than that, right? There's a bunch of subtypes of dementia, Alzheimer's being one of them. Some of the other subtypes might be more commonly manifested as sort of a, a mood or kind of a personality change mm-hmm. um, as, as an early sign, one being frontotemporal dementia, which tends to occur in a little bit younger of a patient than the Alzheimer's dementia. Um, so I would say, yes, sometimes these things are hard to sort out. So when we're when we're doing our initial testing, like in the primary care office, we sometimes use some blunter tools. You know, some people might be familiar with getting a screening test that we call the MMSE or a slums test. These are like, you know, 10 to 30 questions and we can do them in five or 10 minutes in the physician's office. And they can be helpful for sure. But some of these more subtle things we may not always pick up or be able to discern with that testing. Occasionally when people are having more uncommon progression of these of changes and we're just not sure what's going on that's when we might refer out and one tool that we use you know sometimes we'll refer to a specialist like a neurologist or a type of psychiatrist that deals in these diseases sometimes we'll actually refer first for what we call neurocognitive testing which is a more thorough set of testing it's a little harder to obtain just because there's not a lot of people that can administer the testing. So sometimes there's a wait for it. But um, that is probably the most helpful in these more challenging types of presentations to sort out what the most likely cause is. Got it. And of course, you know, something like that is worth coming to your physician about because you know, other diseases of the frontal lobe can also ch- cause a big change in personality or present with these dramatic mood changes. I mean, even like you hear about brain tumors as mm-hmm. one of those things that could present that way. And I, I hate to even say that to freak that out because that would be people out. That would be a rare thing. Right. But I think it's not it's not something that I, I would, you know, watch and wait. I would probably bring it to the attention of a, a provider so that you can try to sort through whether that's worrisome or not. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned dementia covers a bunch of different types of diseases. Is that the right word? So what are some of those variations? Yeah. So the most common one would be Alzheimer's dementia. Mm -hmm. The next most common is what we call vascular dementia. And that's, that's typically caused by, you know, it could be caused by stroke, but often it's more subtly like smaller 
strokes or ischemic events that maybe you don't even pick up at the time that they occur, but over time they they result in changes in the brain. So that's very common as well. Um, Parkinson's disease can cause dementia on itself in itself. Not all patients with Parkinson's have dementia. It's actually a minority. There's there's other types of dementia like frontotemporal dementia that I um, mentioned. Lewy body dementia or Pick's disease is another form of that and a handful of others that become less common but present differently and tend to have different features Mm -hmm. and different treatments at times. Sure. Yeah. All right. If your loved one has dementia, what are some of the unique concerns you should look into when considering long-term care or a nursing home Mm -hmm. or different health care options for them? Yeah, I think I'm hopeful that maybe we can talk about this on the show a little bit more, too, because it's it's such a challenge. I think this is different for every caregiver situation, honestly. I'm constantly amazed by some of the patients that I know who have caregivers or are caregivers themselves at how well they do for so long and in patients that really even have severe dementia. It's amazing. I would say the common things that kind of become the the more difficult things that result in families making those really challenging choices, even if their intention was to keep patients at home, tend to be when patients start struggling more with incontinence, and that's mm-hmm. just more of a, a big care burden, obviously. Or when they become unable to do more basic things like feeding themselves, bathing themselves, toileting. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on how much support you have and how, you know, the caregiver's health is and, and all those things. Mm-hmm. So, um, but these are, it's really hard on families. Yeah. So I think it's unique to everybody, but I think thinking about it earlier than you need it is also the the advice that I give mm. people. Mm-hmm. Because the kind of the worst case scenario is when you find yourself in more of a crisis situation when these changes occur and you don't have a plan. Sure. Um, and of course, right now, it's a little bit of a challenge, you know, with some of our long-term care closures in our rural state to mm-hmm. find these places to care for people. So I think having a plan in place for if and when things get worse, what will be our next step and and know about, you know, how that's paid for and all that stuff. So sure. I encourage people to, you know, look at things earlier than they actually feel like they need them. Sure. So you're mm-hmm. not in crisis mode yeah. and maybe have some options to consider right. and can spend a little more time on those things to right. make right. those decisions. Yeah. 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 That's that's good advice. But these are it's hard. These are hard conversations and it's just emotionally hard for for family members and loved ones to make those decisions. So we just we try to support people and and you know, meet people where they are. Everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a show on grief earlier this mm-hmm. month, and we talked about how with dementia, grief often looks different, and we kind of experience grief differently or even earlier while our loved one is still living. Um, talk a little bit about that and how um, what that feels like for a lot of your yeah. patients. I, I would agree with that. And I, again, I think this is, it can be different for everybody, but of course you lose kind of pieces of that human along the way in in true progressive and severe dementia. And so I'm, you know, grief has to occur. I think so many of our caregivers are very stoic. And so they internalize that because they still have to be the caregiver. And, you know, the person with dementia may not really understand why 
their partner would be grieving mm-hmm. because it's hard for them to have insight into all of that that's going on. So it can be really lonely for them and isolating. And so I think finding a support network is so crucial because it is, it's just, it's a hard thing. I think the other flip side of that is ultimately if and when the the person with dementia if if the dementia was severe at the end of their life does pass away that grief looks different i mean they still you know it there's dynamics of you know that's been a caregiver's purpose for however mm-hmm. many years is really caring for this person and so that purpose is gone they kind of lost the the full human you know maybe yes. years ago right um, and of course, like I, I tell people don't feel ashamed if there's an element of relief, because of course this was a really hard thing that you went through. And now that part of it's kind of behind you, mm-hmm. but I think it's complicated. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it can be more complicated than, um, in other sort of situations of loss. Right. Yeah. Right. If we are going to visit a loved one with dementia, mm-hmm. it can be difficult to visit them sometimes. What recommendations do you have to make that visit meaningful both for the person with dementia and the loved one mm-hmm. going to do that visiting? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, probably the first piece of advice would be to not go into the visit feeling like you need to sort of correct the person. Mm-hmm. I think just meet them where they're at. Um, and sometimes maybe that means listening to music with them or reading to them or just watching television and being present with them. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe it means listening to stories from a long time ago, because of course that might bring that person a lot of joy. And that's something that you can still take something away from. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on, of course, the stage at where that person is at, but I think there, you can certainly still find meaning no matter where that person's disease stage is at. But I would, you know, measure your expectations and try not to be frustrated at the fact that they didn't remember what you told them five minutes ago. I think that you just have to be prepared to do that. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We did have a question come in, so we'll get to that after our break. And we will return after this message from the Avera Medical Group. Shingles, also called herpes zoster, is a painful rash disease. Shingles can lead to severe nerve pain called postherpetic neuralgia that can last for months or years after the rash goes away. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. If you've had chickenpox, you can get shingles. Almost one out of three people in the United States will develop shingles in their lifetime. You can get shingles at any age, but it's more common in older adults. Older adults also are more likely to have severe disease. The Center for Disease Control recommends that people age 50 and older get the shingles vaccine called Shingrex. Set an appointment to discuss shingles with your provider at the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Dr. Kelly Evans is here answering our medical question. We had a question come in from a man on day three of having a sty in his eye. Mm-hmm. It's getting pus-filled. He's putting a hot rag on it. What other suggestions do you have yeah. for him? So he's doing the right thing thus far. I would say the warm compress is always the first bit of advice, and probably 
probably increase the frequency of that. So if you're able to do it, you know, a few times a day or even every couple of hours, the more you can do that, the better. The goal with these is to just get them to kind of rupture and drain on their own. Okay. Um, Now, if if the rest of your eyelid is getting red and swollen, that might be a reason to actually go to see a doctor or go into urgent care. If the sty itself is is all it is and you're not getting further redness and swelling, I would give it more time. Um, You know, if it's something that really fails to go away or is getting to be a bugger, you could go try and see your eye doctor. We try not to stick needles in these things, of course. It's just an area that no one really loves to do that, and most of the time they'll resolve on their own. So I would say increase the frequency of the warm compress as much as you can. And then if that if the eyelid's getting red and, and swollen, though, maybe go see someone. It might require an antibiotic. Okay. okay. What is a sty? Yeah, a sty is just, it's basically sort of a, a little duct that gets clogged and and fluid that normally doesn't stay under the surface of the skin builds up in there. So is it usually on the eyelid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it can be on the external part or the internal part of the eyelid on either the top or the bottom. So yeah, okay. kind of where your lashes are. And you said the goal is it kind of just needs to yeah, It just rush. needs to open on its okay. own. And that's what the warm compress helps with. Gotcha. Yeah. Helps that go. Yeah. All right. Well, we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio this morning. We want to tell you about our South Dakota Public Television show this week, Thursday night at 7 p.m. will be about dementia. We learned a lot from Dr. Evans this morning and look forward to that conversation continuing tomorrow night, Thursday, January 25th. And Dr. Evans will be joined by Dr. Justin Person from Avera Medical Group Neurology in Sioux Falls and Dr. Joseph Reese from Avera Medical Group Family Health. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library, visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.